Thank you, Alan, and the worship team. Can we say thank you to our worship team this morning and the crew that make this whole thing happen? We don't do that. I don't think we, I'm grateful enough for that. So thank you. Uh, the, the, the probably simplest and most powerful tool of introspection in my life journey are these three questions. Where have I been? Where am I at? And where am I going? Because it can be used on several different levels. It can be used relationally. Wendy and I in marriage. Where have we been? Where are we at? Where are we going? It could be used in business. Where's our business been? Where are we at? Where are we going? On a broad spectrum, where are we at at Third Church? You know, I had moved to Pella in 2000, uh, real early 2004. And so it's been just over 15 years. And in the 15 years that I've been attending here and participating, it's been interesting to watch just kind of where God has led from really being a Reformed Church of America. And what I've, what I've observed over the last 15 years is that, is that we as a body, uh, a local gathering of Jesus followers, has grown in diversity of backgrounds. We've got people of every denominational background. We've got people from all sorts of different traditions. And it's sort of, so now we're, uh, and also from the very beginning when I started, there's this undercurrent which, and I believe in the prophetic. I believe that, I, that things are already written and God leads us. So there's been this, this prophetic word that, that this this community and this church, that God's going to do something. There's going to be a, some kind of a revival. I don't even know what it looks like. Uh, that's what I've heard. Um, and so that, when I think about it, and even in this room, when the auditorium opened and Wendy and I came in here and sat right back there, there was a sense that we had that God was calling us to this room and that he was going to do something in this room and we're supposed to be here when it happens. And I've, I've mulled that over a whole bunch and I'm not so sure that it's, it's not some big event. I wonder sometimes if it's happening every Sunday and we won't see it until we look back someday and realize what God has done. I don't know, but I know that as I've talked to other people the same th they've heard the same thing from Holy Spirit. You're supposed to be in this room. Okay, I, so where are we going? Well, I've got the sense of God's gonna do something. Where are we at? Where have we come? There's been this transformational. So let's bring it down now to another level. Where, where have we been? Where are we at? Where are we going? We've just been through a series on the fruit of the Spirit. And if you were following along with Kevin at uh, all in the teaching team, you know that there was a lot of talk about what is forming us? What are we attached to? And the interesting thing, especially in the sanctuary with Kevin's messages, was he got a lot of pushback, like, this is supposed to be about the fruit of the Spirit, and you, we haven't even talked about the fruit of the Spirit. He hardly talked about the fruit of the Spirit at all. 
And the reason for that was because he was trying to get us to understand that the fruit of the Spirit doesn't come until the seed is planted and it germinates and it is watered and it's grown and it's pruned. There is a whole season, a transformative process that has to happen spiritually before we can even realize the fruit in our lives. So we've just been through the fruit of the Spirit talking about what's distracting us, what's keeping us from God's Spirit. And now where are we at? We're in the first week of Lent. Where are we going? We're headed to Easter. Okay, that's what the season of Lent is. So with that in mind, I want to read from Luke 9. And I'd like to try something. By the way, uh, thank you to Lori over here who's doing some painting. And one of the things that we're doing in both rooms during this Lenten season is inviting some of our creatives to come in and just create uh, as the service is going on, as they're led by the Holy Spirit. So that's what's happening here. Cool. So we're just going to let, let that happen. And we're going to be doing that every week of Lent uh, in both rooms. Okay? So just so you know what's going on there. I would like to, I'd like to invite you to try something this morning. We, I'd like you to create in your mind as if you were a cinematographer making a movie. I'm going to read from Luke chapter 9. And I, I would invite you just to close your eyes if you're willing to do so. And as I read from Luke 9, I'd love you to just in your mind, picture it, make the movie, imagine the scene. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do crowds say that I am? They replied, um, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah. And some people say that you're like one of the prophets from long ago that's come back to life. What about you? He asked. Who do you say that I am? Peter answered, you're God's Messiah. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels." And truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. About eight days later, Jesus said to Peter, James, and John, come with me. And they went up on a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face 
changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment in Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with them. And as the men were leaving Jesus, Peter, <laughs> leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it's good for us just to be here. Let's put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And he didn't know what he was saying. And while he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I've chosen. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. And the disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. The next day, when he came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. And a man in the crowd called out, teacher. I beg you to look at my son, for he's my only child. A spirit seizes him, and he suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsions so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him, and it's destroying him. I beg your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. You unbelieving, perverse generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. Even while the boy was coming, the demon threw him to the ground in a convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the impure spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. While everyone was marveling at all that Jesus did, he said to his disciples, listen carefully to what I am about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men but they didn't understand what this meant. It was hidden from them, so they did not grasp it, and they were afraid to ask him about it. An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest, and Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him, and he said, then he said to them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me, for it is the one who is least among you who is the greatest. Master, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he's not one of us. Don't stop him, Jesus said, for whoever is not against you is for you. At this time, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead, and he went to the Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. And when the disciple James and John saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. As they were walking along the road, the man said to him, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. Jesus said to another man, follow me. But he replied, uh, Lord, first, just let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go, proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, but first let me go back 
and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service of God. Lord Jesus, unpack your words to us this morning. That we may know, Lord, where we are at with you and will be led to follow where you lead us. In your name we pray. Amen. One of the things that I have found about scripture as you study it is that sometimes the lesson is not in the words of the text, but in the larger story of what's taking place. So I want to step back today, and I want to look at Luke chapter 9, and I want to look at these events in order. I read a bunch of scripture to you, several different stories, but there is, there's meaning in this, in this passage when you look at it from far away. Where has Jesus been? Where is he at? Where is he going? Jesus at this time, we're in Luke chapter 9, and Luke goes on into, you know, chapters 28. It's a long book. And Jesus, we're just now in the ninth chapter, getting to the point where Jesus is going to go to Jerusalem, where he will be killed and he will be crucified. Twice in this passage, Jesus said, this is what's going to happen. I am going to Jerusalem. I must be rejected by the chief priest and the teachers of the law. I am going to be killed. And then in three days, I'm going to rise again. One of the, one of the things that is commonly misunderstood is that in the, in the Easter story, Jesus is the victim, but he's not. In the Easter story, Jesus is the perpetrator. He is pushing the buttons. He is going where he is supposed to go. He is God in man on a mission. And we have to understand that if we're fully going to understand the Easter story. So I'm going to go back to, going to, go back to uh, Luke 9 here. And I started on, uh, in verse 18. So everyone's wondering who Jesus is. And the disciples finally get to the point of saying, yeah, we understand that you're the Messiah. And Jesus is like, good. Now, here's what you need. What did he follow that with? You're the Messiah, Jesus. Yes, so let me tell you, I have to go be killed. <laughs> if you understand that I'm the Messiah, you have to understand that I am going to die and then rise again. So upon the profession, he gives them clearly, this is where, where it's going to happen, okay? So he tells them, predicts his death. The next thing in verse 28 is we have the transfiguration. He takes Peter, James, John, goes up the mountain, and in the night, they go for a mountain for the entire night to pray. And in the middle of the night, guys are getting sleepy because Jesus has been just sitting there praying. And all of a sudden, he is transfigured. He is seen in his glory. It's sort of like the veil is, is ripped away, and they see Jesus 
in all of his glory. Where has Jesus been? He came from heaven. Philippians chapter 2. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself of his godness and he came down. He gave up the glory of heaven to become one of us. And so in this brief flash, he's showing Peter, James, and John, this is who I really am. I came from heaven. I came from eternity. This. You see it? Yes. Where has he been? He came from heaven, and he's coming. Now, after the transfiguration, when he gives them just a glimpse of who he really is, comes down from the mountain and heals a demon-possessed boy. So I want you to understand the contrast here. Transfiguration, power of heaven. Casting out a demon, power over hell. So we've got, we've got eternal splendor. We've got God incarnate in the form of a man. We've got power of heaven, power over hell. And where are we going? To die. That's where we're going. We're going to die. He then goes on and predicts his death a second time. Death. Hey, guys, this is where I'm going. Death, power of heaven, power over hell. Now I'm going to tell you again, I'm going to die. Second time. It bookends between the two. And then he is opposed, the Samaritan opposition. I'm going to go into Samaria. No, we don't want you here. So, and he then, we have these three scenarios where people want to follow him or are called to follow him. And Jesus basically says no. So I want us to think through what are we supposed to take to this? And the, the crucial verse here is verse 51. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely, resolutely, he resolutely set out for Jerusalem. His resolve is to go die and to make the things that he has just prophesied happen. So where are we at today? We're at the very beginning of the season of Lent. And here's, um, can we go to the fourth, fourth slide, please? Here's what I want us to understand today. When G, the weekend Jesus died, after he arrives, hundreds of thousands, some scholars even say a couple of million people were in Jerusalem because it was the Passover festival. And so all the good Hebrews from all over the world would come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, which is the festival that celebrates uh, God through Moses leading the Hebrews out of slavery and bondage in Egypt. So there were hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people there 
relatively few even knew what was happening when Jesus was crucified. The people who knew what was happening were the people that walked with Jesus, his followers, his mother, his brother, Mary Magdalene, the 12, the 72, the people that were in his entourage who knew him, had been following him, who had walked with him to Jerusalem, they knew. So here's what I'm going to, here's what I want to throw out this morning. Every Easter, hundreds, thousands pack this church. And I observe and I wonder how many of those hundreds and thousands know what's really happening. And I would contend this. If you just show up on Easter morning, because it's one of the two days you come to church a year, the chances of, of you really understanding what is happening, to really experience the transformative work of God, chances are probably pretty slim. But if we walk with Jesus to the cross, if we go with him for 40 days, there is a chance that by the time we get to Good Friday and we get to Easter Sunday, I am going to experience it in a whole new way, in a way that might change my life. So I, this morning, want to ask you, invite you to come on a journey, a Lenten journey. I'd like you to journey with Jesus to the cross this year. Now, what do I mean by that? Lent is 40 days, all right? So let's go back to the word, the number 40. 40 in, in Bible numerology is the number that's associated with preparation and trial. So here's just a few that I pulled out from scripture. Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days before he was tempted by Satan. He fasted, prayed for 40 days, tempted by Satan, and after the temptation, the start of his ministry. So that 40 days was a preparation of facing Satan, his enemy, okay? Satan basically tempted Jesus with the same basic three temptations. He tempted Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve blew it. Jesus did not, okay? So we see that now he's prepared for his ministry and he launches it from there. Moses, in his time in Egypt, in Midian, why was Moses on that Mount of Transfiguration? Why was Elijah there? What's the deal there? Jesus died on the Passover week. There's a parallel. When God took the Hebrews out of slavery in Egypt to the promised land, he was foreshadowing that someday my son is going to come. He is going to lead us out of bondage to sin to the promised land of the kingdom of heaven. So Moses is there. He's the prefigure of who Jesus is. Elijah is there. Why? Because Elijah is the quintessential. And the scripture said the very last verses of the Old Testament say Elijah is going to come back because <laughs> he got taken up in a whirlwind to heaven and he's going to come back. So it's the fulfillment. Okay? So now we have 40 days, Moses, 
Um, he lived 40 years in Egypt. He went into exile out of Egypt into Midian, was 40 years in Midian, and after two sets of 40, one in Egypt, one in exile, that's when the whole story of Pharaoh began, after two sets of 40 years. Moses and the Hebrews, 40 years wandering in the wilderness before they got to the promised land. Moses went to Mount Sinai to get the Ten Commandments. He was on Mount Sinai for 40 days. When they went to reconnaissance the promised land, the spies went in for 40 days. 40 days of flooding rains for Noah's red. Getting the idea here? This is a recurring theme. So when we get to Lent, for followers of Jesus, it's like saying, I'm going to take 40 days to prepare myself for Holy Week, for celebrating Jesus' death and resurrection. So that's why it's 40 days. And the 40 days began with Ash Wednesday. Let's go to, yeah, from Ash Wednesday to Holy Week is 40 days. And then we have Holy Week in which we celebrate Jesus dying on the cross and we celebrate his resurrection, okay? So what does it mean to celebrate Lent? Let me throw it out this way. I, through my, my spiritual journey, feel like the institutional church has been really good about being prescriptive about everything. It's like, oh, we got, we got to prescribe to you what you need to do. We need to prescribe to you, okay, do this and do this and do this and do this. But what happens is sometimes when you do the prescription, it's not personal. And so what I am going to ask of you this morning and ask of you in this season of Lent is to personally walk with Jesus as he leads you, which means that you get to ask him, Lord, what should I be doing? Lord, how can I follow you? What does that mean for me? Okay? Three questions. Four questions, actually. Number one, am I willing to walk with Jesus to the cross this Lent season? Because that's the number one question. And if you're unwilling, fine. You can check out now, leave if you want to, because the, the other three questions don't matter. Okay, so that's number one. Am I really willing to do this? Okay, number two. What distractions will I reduce or remove from my life in order to heartfully, soulfully, mindfully journey with Jesus to the cross this Lenten season? Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So how can I heartfully, soulfully, mindfully reduce or remove distractions. We talked about that in the Fruit of the Spirit series. So how are we doing with our distractions? You know, Brett gave up social media, which was awesome. But that might not be what you're distracted by. You might be distracted by any number of things. I don't know what it is. And when it's prescribed in Lent, it's always, well, you got to give something up. So that's what we do in Lent. For those of you who grew up celebrating Lent, okay, well, what are we going to give up? When I was a kid, it was Coke. Because I, I, I love Coca-Cola, and I would drink. My mom would always tell me, drink too much pop. My dad would drink too much pop. And I'm like going, yeah, well, you watch too much TV. So <laughs> I gave up Coke, and my dad gave up TV, which wasn't fair because he was an accountant. And, and Lent always comes during tax season. 
So rather than watch TV, he'd just sit there at the dining room table, you know, at his adding machine doing taxes. All right? So it wasn't quite fair. But it was always about, again, the prescriptive is you have to give something up. But it misses the point because I found in my own life that I thought it was about spiritual capital, like building up, like earning my way. Well, if I give up Coca-Cola for Lent, then that's earning me to get something good at Easter. If I give this up, then I am doing a good thing and it's going to earn me God's favor come Easter time. That's completely wrong. It's not about building up and earning spiritual capital. It's about building up spiritual capacity. And when I remove distractions, and that's the other thing. For some of us, it's like this big, big all or nothing thing, right? Okay, oh yeah, I've got to give this up completely. Go cold turkey. Well, maybe, maybe that's not it. Maybe God wants you to reduce something and, and just make some capacity. Because I'm opening this up. This is between you and Holy Spirit. This is between you and God of what it would be. And I want to ask you to ask him, Lord, Lord, what do you want me to reduce? What do you want me to remove from my life? so that I can walk with you to the cross. Next question. What specific steps or actions will I take to heartfully, soulfully, mindfully journey with Jesus to the cross each day of this Lenten season? You know, it was when Jesus said, if anyone wants to be my disciple, he has to deny himself and take up their cross daily. So what steps am I going to take? So I've made capacity by reducing and removing some distractions. Now what am I going to put in? Now there are four pillars of spiritual transformation. Okay, real simple. Think of it vertical, horizontal. Okay, the vertical, God's word, Bible, it's God's scripture comes down to us. He's given us, he's, he's given it down. Jesus came down. The word came down. So this, scripture is one. Our prayers go up to God, like incense. So word, prayer, and then the horizontal. Relationships, fellowship with others. And then my testimony, my witness, my, this is what God is doing in my life. So I would just ask you that. So let's open it up. What, what could it mean? Maybe I need more of this, and I know that I haven't been, I'm not in, I don't even ever read this for myself. I don't know anything about it. Would you think about just taking a step of putting more of this in on a daily basis? Could be anything. You could read one of you know, the Gospels, just one chapter a day. I write a, I write a blog, um, a chapter a day blog. Every weekday, I read one chapter, and then I write a blog post uh, and, and podcast about what I thought about that chapter. It's real simple. You can join me if you want to, tombanderill.com. I'll be every weekday. I'll have written out what I kind of thought. Don't have to write anything down if you don't want to, but if you want to join along, and I'll, here's, here's one thing. We're in the Psalms right now, and this week, 
there's a psalm that's only two verses long. So if you think this is going to take a lot time, simple, easy. But if, you, if you're not getting anything in, just taking that little step might be for you. We've got the lighthouse right over here. Maybe once a week you come to the lighthouse and you just sit in quiet. Maybe you need some quiet. I was listening to Dallas Willard uh, preach. Wendy and I got to go to this, uh, hear Dallas Willard at a, a conference in Colorado. And he was taking questions. If you don't know Dallas Willard, he's this great theologian. He just died recently. And a woman raised her hand, little old lady, and she said, Dr. Willard, I, I just get really, I feel guilty because I'll, I pray at night and then I always fall asleep. And Dallas Willard goes, good. And the woman looked at him and he goes, do you know that sleep is a spiritual discipline? And I don't think that we get enough sleep. And there's no better way for you to go to sleep than having a conversation with Jesus. Maybe you need rest. Maybe you need sleep. I don't know. Refresh every Thursday, noon, I love it, in this room. You come in, you sit down, it's quiet, there's music playing, our prayer team's here. Somebody comes over, they put their hands on you, unless you don't want them to because of COVID, that's fine, that's social distancing thing. But they come, they pray over you. They pray for you. How, how, when was the last time you had someone literally pray over you, pray for you? I just love to sit. <laughs> I just love my, be quiet, listen. You could do a refresh. You could be part of the, the winter formation retreat. You could do, there's a million different things that you could do to add a little bit, spend time in prayer. Again, the horizontal. Maybe there's somebody that you know that you respect and you have a good relationship with and you just say, hey, you know what? Once a week, we're gonna have coffee during Lent and I'd like to just talk about where I'm at, where I've been, where I'm at, and where I'm going in my spiritual life. Easy. I don't know. I'm just throwing out ideas, everyone. Again, it's, this isn't meant to be prescriptive. We're just trying to help us all open our hearts and minds to where God might lead us. And then the final one, how will I deny myself and take up my cross? I want you to understand, and worship team, you can come on up right now. Uh, I want you to understand that crucifixion was the mode of death. The Romans, little history lesson here, the Romans were really good at coming up with creative ways to kill people. True. Really ugly ways to kill people. One way that they came up with was they would take uh, two chariots facing opposite directions. They would tie um, somebody to both chariots and then take off so the body literally ripped apart. They would do this. This was very common. They would, uh, they had these big leather sacks and they would throw somebody into a leather sack with a snake, a rabid dog, a monkey, and a rooster. And then watch as the animals tore the person to shreds inside the sack. These, these were not nice people. But the Romans themselves said that there was no 
death worse than crucifixion. Seneca, the Roman philosopher, said, is there really such a thing as a person who would prefer wasting away in pain on a cross, dying limb by limb, one drop of blood at a time? Would anyone willingly choose to be fastened to that cursed tree, especially after the beating that left them deathly weak, deformed, swelling, with vicious welts on shoulders and chest, and struggling to draw every last agonizing breath? Anyone facing such a death would plead to die rather than be hung on that cross. And crucifixion was one of the most popular ways that Romans did it. In fact, what the Romans would do is they would take, uh, take the worst of the worst, crucify them, and then hang them outside the city gates. So as you're leaving, you would pass by. Crucifixion was something Jesus and his disciples saw it all over the place. It was very common. In fact, when they were leaving the Samaritan village, probably, it could be very well that when Jesus is saying the words, anyone who wants to come after me has to deny themselves, take up the cross. They literally, as they're walking, could have been passing by criminals hanging on a cross. Imagine that word picture. And only the worst of the worst got crucified. If you had no status, if you committed some horrible crime, it was a degrading form of death. And Jesus said, if you want to come after me, if you're going to follow me to Jerusalem, here's what's going to have to happen. You're going to have to make some room, some spiritual capacity, and you're going to have to make the commitment to come with me. So back to question one. Are you willing to walk with Jesus to the cross this Lenten season. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you left heaven to come here to be one of us. Thank you that you chose to resolutely walk to your death. That you willingly, who knew no sin, made yourself sin for us, that in you we might enjoy the gift of righteousness. So I pray, Lord, just for every person in this room, any person that might be uh, listening or watching online, I pray that, Holy Spirit, you would speak to each of us in our hearts, as you will. I just give you free reign right now to, uh, in my heart, Lead me. What needs to be reduced and removed, Lord Jesus? What needs to be added in? How do you want me to deny myself? How do you want me to take up my own cross? How do you want me to walk with you? Speak to us as we worship.